Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Yellow Card. Join me and my buddy The Pain as we discuss match week 2 in what's hot and what's not across the English Premier League. Hi The Pain, how are you and how do you think this week went? Hey Chirag, what's up? I mean, what a fantastic weekend we had. 10 matches, all 20 teams competing. We got all drama in there with red cards and penalties, missed penalties and goals. Goals, uh, 44 goals this weekend. It's the highest ever after, I think, 2010-11 where one game week had 43. And since this has been a 20-team league, 20 league, this has been the highest number of goals in a single game week that has 10, uh, 10 matches. 44 goals in 10 matches is quite quite a riot. First, uh, the first match uh, set the tempo for the game week. I think Leeds, uh, this time coming off on the better side of the 4-3 uh, scorecard. What do you think about that? Well, actually, it was a very interesting game, to say the least. I think that Leeds started off really well. They took a good 4-1 lead against Fulham, but Fulham managed to peg them back and Mitrovic managed to score two goals. One, I think, was off a penalty and one header from Mitrovic. So, it, it, I really, it, it's still going to be interesting to see how both these teams fare uh, in the remaining matches because, of course, both have come up and I'm a little worried for Leeds now because I didn't expect such an open game, especially after taking the lead for one. Yeah, I mean, and you can't really expect to score three goals or four goals every game. I mean, you've done it for two weeks in a row. One against one of the top sides and one against uh, uh, Fulham. But uh, I don't think they can continue this kind of, uh, I mean, with this kind of scoring rate. So, it, it's, it's, I mean, it was an interesting match. It was good to watch uh, goals uh, all around. I mean, seven goals in 90 minutes is quite uh, a feast. Which also, uh, the second match also had that many. But uh, more dominant uh, towards one side. Uh, Everton scoring five. Uh, Calvert-Lewin getting a hat-trick. Hamas Rodriguez putting on a show. Uh, what do you think about that one? I think Everton, uh, it was a scrappy start. A little slow, I think, from the Everton point of view. But once they got into it, uh, I, I think it, they looked good. Calvert-Lewin is definitely looking good and so is Ames Rodriguez. What a, what a shot that was and he's showing glimpses of his past. So, and, and he generally performs best in the Columbia t-shirt but he's showing why he's so good and why the professor loves him so much. So, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how Everton uh, move from here on in. Yeah, he, uh, with a few passes, I think he even managed to surprise his own teammates a little bit. I, I remember watching it, one of the passes, uh, one of one through ball to, uh, I think, Dinier. And he was making the run and he, he got surprised by receiving the ball. And it was such a good pass that, that really uh, cut apart the defence. I remember that too, actually. It's a very good point you bring up because I, I, I think he wanted the ball and he still didn't expect it to actually reach him and it was a sublime pass because he literally cut open the defence. Having said that, uh, on the flip side of that five-goal uh, five goal, uh, uh, scoring uh, opportunity from West Brom was, what, uh, sorry, from, West, from Everton was 
what happened to West Brom where where uh, there was a red card on the field and there was a red card off the field as well in a little moment of madness from both player and coach because uh, the I believe it was Kiran Gibbs that literally for want of a better word went to poke Rodriguez in the eye uh, or it was at least a hand to the face is what it seemed and uh, so definite red card for me over there and village seemed very very heated at the spot of the moment and and right at the uh, right as soon as half time as soon as the half time whistle blew he was in the referee's face and ended up getting a red card for that too so it actually he literally threw the game in any case yeah i mean uh, gibbs was actually uh, quite an obvious red card i mean he just left the referee with no option there but i think the referee could have shown a little bit of restraint for the manager there i mean billich i i mean you can understand he was heated with the red card and everything going on they were doing reasonably okay till then I mean, and maybe as long as he didn't abuse the referee i think maybe he should have just let it go like just walk off or you know something like that and it would have just probably held the team together for the second half which they i think they just completely fell apart after that true it's an interesting view but i do think that at the end of the day if you go by the letter of the law it was indeed a red card for the coach as well but uh, i i do see your point of view over there now coming to the next game how about we discuss uh, again your favorite team arsenal uh, how do you think they've gone they had a hard fought 2-1 victory in in their london derby against west ham i think it was it was a lucky escape uh, from all the good things that we saw in the first game none of that came through in this second game this was actually uh, i thought it would be at home would be more, much more comfortable against west ham uh, but they 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 west ham played well and they fought hard and the good the good part is obviously getting the three points but also that arsenal never really looked like giving up they showed strength in character and you know fought till the end and got lucky and got two goals also if you can if you see the match you you, you probably saw both sides of the formation that they play with sako attacking and creating opportunities but then also he lacked he couldn't get back in defense for the goal that arsenal conceded oh i i agree with your assessment there i think actually west ham didn't have a bad game at all they they were more than just hanging in there and they had their opportunities as well so they could have really hurt arsenal but from a arsenal point of view i think you could see the relief and the joy on arteta's face on having got those three points even though it wasn't his side's best performance and he was really elated to uh, you know literally be able to come away with uh, a scrappy three points so to speak even though it wasn't their best performance because those these are they are going to be such games during the course of the season and it is important for a winning side and a side that wants to challenge at the top of the table or in the top 4 5 to try and see out this these games yeah and they will uh, definitely be challenged in the next uh, game week for sure so yeah i think more of this fight will be needed going forward uh anyway let's move on to uh tottenham and uh, jose mourinho what did you think about that one again uh it was goals galore and i think uh, as you had rightly pointed out to me off air uh there were four goals in in the first 15 minutes or half an hour or so and only one counted 
So uh, it, it was because of the number of offsides and all of them were actually pretty close. The, the, the three goals that were actually given offside. And yes, uh, because we have VAR today and we're going to go exactly by the letter of the law, which, is, which I think is only going to benefit our game in the long run. It was heartbreaking because even the first goal, I think that was by Kane. It was a stupendous shot. It was really, really amazing. And to have that called offside, it was just heartbreaking. Having said that, to see uh, Jose Mourinho's side score five goals and uh, Kane and Son both were on song for Spurs. And, and that says a lot because uh, for me, that shows that, that there's a bright future uh, for Spurs. Uh, given the fact that you have regular and Bale back, though so that's 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 the big news out of uh, out of the Spurs camp for uh, since the last one week, and we spoke about it last week. So I think from a, from a they've had a really strong week from a goals perspective. That's five from a from a Mourinho side. You've got Bale, you've got regular. I think there's a lot to look forward to, and even though I'm a Liverpool supporter and Never been the biggest fan of Mourinho. I am really excited to see what happens to Spurs uh, going forward. I, I think you might be a closet Mourinho fan. Probably just coming out now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, five goals. But I mean, first four of them, uh, Yun Ming Son, he was clinical with his finishing. But they, all four of them pretty much followed the same template. Kane getting the ball high up the field and then... Uh, Son going on one of his runs and Kane finding him. Four assists for Kane. He becomes, the, I think, the first player in the Premier League to assist the same person four times in a single match. So, yeah, we followed a pretty much uh, a similar template uh, throughout. I think they were not, they were quite uh, before the first Son goal, just before half time. I think it was a minute before half time. They, they were not looking completely comfortable. Of course, they had the ruled-out offside goals, but uh, they were looking like Southampton would push them. But uh, once that goal came, and then immediately at the restart, Son scored again. And after that, it was just uh, one-way traffic, more or less. No, I, I agree with you. Despite that five-goal, uh, you know, uh, session from from that the four goals from Song, and and it, you would think it's like a five-goal hammering. Uh, for much of the first half, it was a little bit frustrating for, for Spurs. And even if you don't take into account the fact that they are getting bail or they've got bail and he's going to start playing for them, it's not fun football. I didn't enjoy the first half as, as much as I probably should have enjoyed watching a Spurs side. So, it's going to be interesting to see how Mourinho chooses to take that forward. Definitely. Let's move on to the top build match of uh, the game week two. Uh, Liverpool versus Chelsea. What did you think about Liverpool's performance, Chirag? Well, I, I thought a lot more about Chelsea's performance than Liverpool's performance, to be honest. But uh, uh, Mane, Mane was good. Liverpool did look good. They looked like the side that was always a little more dominating. I think Werner, from a Chelsea standpoint, he, I, I think he's, he's called Turbo Timo and he looks good. He looks the part. But from a from a Liverpool standpoint, we had a really, really good game. And one example I can give you of that is Fabinho was, was one of the centre-halves because both, both Gomez and Matip were injured. And Fabinho was partnering Van Dijk. And I think Fabinho looked phenomenal. The kind of tackles, he had an amazing, amazing game, Fabinho. In fact, uh, I'm tempted to not even look for another centre-back and just play Fabinho there now that we have 
a lot of competition for places in 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 the middle of the field, middle of the park. So uh, I think Fabinho had a good game. Mane had a very nice double and was clear that uh, the first goal again sublime setup and you saw the front three in action. It was it was Salah, Firmino, Mane. Uh, I, I think it was a one-two between uh, Firmino and Mane, and then a, a pass from Salah to Firmino at the start. So it it, it really was a, a good setup from from the front three, and then you saw the the pressure being put on the goalkeeper from Mane, and of course we can't get through a Chelsea match week without talking about Kepa. Or you know, at some level, from a, from a human standpoint, I feel bad for him, but I think it's time now that he it is high time that he was replaced. You can't have a goalkeeper in a top, top club that makes these kind of errors because we were gifted the second goal. And of course, the red card didn't help. Although I think Christensen clearly knew what he was doing over there. It was a clear red card. He got money down. And um, you know what? Literally from that, I think it was just a little bit before halftime. And you saw that uh, there was just one interesting change that, that came about at halftime. And that was... When Klopp put on Thiago, and I think he completed 75 passes in 45 minutes, and I, if, if I'm not wrong, that's a that's a record where he's actually made, uh, uh, you know, completed 75 passes over just one half, and he's made a big impact on a already very very good Liverpool side, and you can see him pulling the strings in the centre of the park. Yeah, absolutely. Man. I mean. Just a couple of points to add to that. I think Mane uh, was looking very hungry uh, in that game. Of course, it was his run that got the red card. Then he scored the second goal and the pressure he put on Kepa that got the third goal as well. So, he was definitely maybe trying to catch up with uh, Salah, I think, who scored a hat-trick in the first game. Some healthy rivalry going on there. Uh, Tiago, yeah, very impressive. I think he con- right from the moment he came onto the pitch, he controlled everything that Liverpool did from there on, and uh, he was just uh, all over making his impact. As you said, most passes in a half, and yeah, Kepa obviously. I think uh, every time, just not just the mistake, but every time the ball did go to him, it looked like something would happen, like he was under pressure or nervous or just over eager maybe to make an impact or a positive statement. Uh, obviously, there are transfers being talked about and we'll get to that later in the episode. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think uh, I think Lampard tried to put a, a, a positive spin on it, saying even after down to 10 men, if you remove the goalkeeper error and you convert the penalty, you're at 1-1. But I think uh, the match overall was uh, not that even as he tried to make it sound. Absolutely. I, I, I think I don't actually think you can uh, take out the goalkeeper error and the red card. These are, these are at the end of the day, this is what makes a football match, right? So, uh, I really don't see how you can say, let's take that out. Uh, having said that, let's move on to uh, the struggles of the great Manchester United. And that too at the Theatre of Dreams. They were at home. And they went down to Crystal Palace. And that just says it all. Uh, I, I believe Roy Hodgson has done it again. Uh, I, I think he, he went to the Theatre of Dreams last year and he won. And he's done it again this year. So, uh, a lot of positives for Palace. They've come out uh, two wins out of two. And I really don't remember the last time they did that. And Man United, 
I, I, I want to know your thoughts because uh, uh, I have words which a lot of people are not going to like. You know, I think there are not see there are not many teams you can say this about, but Crystal Palace seem to have found a liking for Old Trafford. Uh, as you said, they went there last year, won. They this year they they put on a show quite. I mean, they put in quite an impressive performance uh, this time. And Man United struggled, man. I don't know if they were rusty or just, uh, you know, slow to get off the mark. But there was just nothing really happening from their side. Bruno Fernandes was non-existent most of the game. Uh, Pogba didn't do much. I think he had a shot on goal. But nothing apart from that. Uh, They didn't play Greenwood to start with. uh, But yeah. Even after he came on, there wasn't much. But yeah, you can't really expect him to have the same season that he had last year. He's still very young and lots to develop still. So yeah, I think they're going to struggle. Uh, I don't think there are any signings coming in as well. So going forward looks a little difficult. I mean, see, any team that goes on to win the Premier League has more or less doesn't have more than three losses. Anything, anyone in the, hoping to be in the top four or in the running for the top three, top four, you can't have more than maybe four or five losses. And if you get one on the first game week that you play, first match you play at home, it's just going to be very difficult to crack into that top four. Uh, agreed, Dipin. And it's not really what, what worries me is not the loss. It's the manner of the loss. I think the only positive from a United standpoint is that uh, Van de Beek came on and he scored on debut. So, I think that is the only positive that United can take uh, from that game. Uh, it's not very often that we say, look, Fernandez didn't have an impression on the game. And Pogba, as I've always said, I think while he's talented, I don't really think he's ever shown or lived up to his expectation at Old Trafford and he just showed more of what I'm saying. I don't even know why he wants a new contract at Old Trafford. I mean, just just go. I mean, really, he's overpaid and uh, uh, I, I think uh, uh, really we can do without him at Old Trafford unless he actually shows and proves his worth, uh, his worth. Because yes, he's talented, but he's never quite shown up in a United shirt for, for me. At least that's my personal opinion. And when you, when you talk about Palace, it was actually interesting because they got a penalty, which I think was a result of the uh, a VAR decision. Okay, and if VAR hadn't been there, it probably w- it, it may not have been given. And what was more interesting is, uh, I think it was a bad penalty taken by Ayu, and he missed it. And then again, cut to VAR, and it turns out that De Gea was off his line, so it's a retake. And then they they, they here comes Zaha says, look, why don't you allow me to step up? He steps up, takes the shot, buries it, and United go down and how. So, uh, having said that, even though the penalty was a talking point, I think you, uh, Crystal Palace looked the better side. So, I, I don't think that we can take anything away from the manner that they played in that game. So, kudos to them. Let's move on to the other side of Manchester and a complete opposite kind of performance from Man City than Man United. Yes, very strong, very strong. In fact, uh, in fact, they have a few injuries. So if you looked at their bench, it wasn't the strongest bench. But uh, they, I, I think they still had Mares, and and uh, despite not being the strongest bench, who needs a bench when you can field those kind of eleven players? Because if you look at the look at the uh, 
players that they actually had and the performance that they gave in that 2-1, it was not the scoreline, it was just the manner of dominance. And even if you look at the back line, for me, if Laporte has a good season like he had, I think, season before last when they actually won the league and, and uh, uh, you get uh, RK to actually uh, settle into that uh, centre-half partnership with him, then the flanks are looking good because that's that that's tried and tested in terms of Kyle Walker and 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 Mendy of course hopefully can have an injury free and drama free season uh, as well. So if that's the case, then they look like a good back four right in front of Edison, who's again a world class keeper. And then you have a very strong midfield and a very strong front three. I mean, even without Aguero, that was scary because you had De Bruyne, you had Sterling, you had uh, Jesus, and then behind them again. You have uh, Fernandinho, who's who's the captain of the side now, uh, after Silva's gone away and, and flanked by Rodrigo. And, and I don't actually remember who the 11th player was. But then, uh, oh, actually, yes, yeah, sorry. Thanks. It, it was Phil Foden. So, uh, and then to come, it's just scary because you have Mares, you have uh, Bernardo Silva, you have Aguero. And, and it's just, it's just you, have, you have the new signing for Torres, who came off the bench. So, it, it's a scary-looking city side. I don't think they need any more reinforcements. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, yeah they have like a long injuries list at the moment. That's why probably the bench looks uh, a little bit thin. I think Bernardo Silva, Garcia, uh, Aguero, all injured. So, a couple of other… Uh, Gundogan wasn't available this time. So, yeah, a lot of uh, probably starting 11 players… Uh, who are not available as of now. That's why probably the bench looks thin. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think a very good performance. And as you spoke about the defence, I think more than the defence, if the defence really settles in a little bit, you have Fernandinho playing in front of the defence, then it just really adds a little bit of more protection towards that half. And he can really make uh, the kind of tackles or stop runs which uh, probably Gundogan and Rodrigo don't really Rodrigo don't really do, so that also really helps uh, with the stability of the defense. It uh, makes it uh, much more secure in that sense. So yeah, overall I think they came out hungry. They came out uh, looking like they wanted to play. They didn't want to miss out on. They were probably forced to miss out on game week one. So yeah, yeah. So they they came out looking like uh, that, and yeah, they. It was a good performance from Manchester City, quite clinical in the end. Let's move on to Leicester, who were looking really strong. I think uh, they started uh, the season well. Three goals in the first game, four goals uh, in the second. Overall, uh, even without Wadi scoring, they got four goals in, which is quite rare for Leicester. Well, uh, I think it was a good, good game for Leicester. So, Leicester have started strong, much like they did the, the, the last season. Hopefully, they won't... Uh, uh, you know, last season, post the, post the lockdown, when they came back, they, they went a little bust and uh, were not looking good. But right now, they look as strong as they were um, during the start of last season, which is good news for Brendan Rodgers and his men. Uh, Brendan Rogers and his men. And like you correctly said, four goals without Vardy scoring is quite something. I don't think he would have got sleep at night for a centre-forward to not score after the team scored four goals. Very, very rare to see that. But I think it was a really good all-round performance from Leicester. Uh, Burnley hung in there to their credit. They have their own problems. They have uh, players injured. They have players that they were forced to let go because they couldn't get them to sign new contracts. There's talk of a sale, which is why 
uh, the current owner doesn't want to really invest or, or extend contracts of new players right now. And of course, the transfer window is going to shut on October 5th. So, uh, Sean Dyche, I mean, kudos to him. He still managed to put a team out there. And it's a team that continues to fight no matter what they don't give up. Having said that, I definitely think Leicester look good and it's going to be interesting to see whether they can actually keep a top six position this year. They're probably hoping for uh, top four, maybe trying to look to get into the top four. Anyway, let's let's move on to the next uh, game that we're talking about. Uh, Chef Aston Villa and Sheffield United. Uh, scrappy match. Sheffield went down to... Uh, I think 10 men early after that uh, Aston Villa took care of a lot of the possession of the ball and uh, they didn't really do that much with it but in the end one goal was enough uh, came again, came off a set piece again and uh, they more or less uh, there was three very important points for Aston Villa that actually so I mean they would want to I think the goal for them is the same as it was last season to stay up and uh, these three points will be a big boost for them uh, going ahead. And the only other match I think we we have to talk about is Newcastle versus Brighton. Uh, what do you think about that one, Chirac? Well, uh, I was actually pretty optimistic the way Newcastle played last week. But I, I think they were home this time and they didn't really show uh, signs any signs of uh, playing the way they did last week. They went down 3-0 to Brighton at home. Brighton looked good. All their goals were, were really good. Um, they looked like a good side, a, a side that actually may not necessarily need to struggle at the bottom of the table uh, this season. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how that pans out. Um, also, I think oh, they, they, they've got uh, Lamptey, who's looking really, really good. They got him from Chelsea. Uh, I think Chelsea let him go and, and he's having a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's a second season at Brighton, though I, I may be wrong about that. But he's looking really, really good for them in addition to uh, their forwards like like Mopai and then the addition of, uh, of uh, uh, I, I forget the name, uh, they've, got, they've got him from uh, my Liverpool side uh, and, and I can't believe I, for, I forget his name, but... Uh, uh, th that addition also makes them a lot stronger, and uh, it it's going to be interesting because. Uh, and sorry, Adam Lalana, what am I thinking? A great, great Liverpool servant. I can't remember his name. My God! So the addition of Lalana makes them stronger. So I think, I think overall they've got a pretty decent side, and I don't really think that they should end up necessarily struggling at the bottom of the table. And I think they could be. A, a mid-table side, maybe between 10 to 15. So, and definitely safe from my point of view. Well, that's it. That's I mean, that that's overall the game week that was. A uh, lot of action, lot of goals, and uh, we're hoping for similar things next weekend. Avi Chirak? Well, I think it's going to be interesting because if 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 I'm not incorrect. Uh, I believe it's going to be Arsenal versus Liverpool. So, definitely hoping for something like that. A high-scoring, uh, a one-sided high-scoring game for Arsenal-Liverpool where, where uh, uh, we trounce Arsenal. But, uh, of course, that's that's way easier said than done because, uh, truth be told, Arsenal also looking good. And, uh, of course, they have the likes of Obama Young and Lacazette and Sebayos also in the middle of the park. So, it's going to be interesting. I don't... I'll be very surprised if we get anywhere near a 40-goal weekend 
uh, the following weekend. Although you never know, and uh, it's a lot to look forward to because it's very very entertaining. Yeah, I think uh, it will. That will be definitely the one match that we will do, both be watching. And uh, yeah, another Manchester City and Leicester should also be uh, interesting to watch. That will be. It's it's quite uh, quite a tough start for Manchester City that way. Although they're not making it look like that so far. But yeah, that that'll be another interesting match to watch. I think it's a tough start for the rest. Whoever plays Manchester City has the tough start. <laughs> Manchester City aren't bothered about who they play. Yeah, that that that's right. So. Yeah, a couple of good matches to look forward to again, and uh, yeah, let's hope uh, the other side of Manchester also comes up this time. I mean, they they need to really put in a performance or two at least, or uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is looking at uh, probably an early exit from uh, the United setup. Yeah, <laughs> let's see how that goes. So that, that that's all, everyone, from a match week. to perspective from the pain and me we will move on to our next segment where we will just give you a quick update on the transfers up till now the pain yeah. what are your thoughts yeah we spoke last time in length about uh, bale coming back to spurs that has been confirmed regulon has been confirmed so those are two that are most talked about most in the news and that have been confirmed in other news i think lampard just uh, right now has confirmed that mendy is uh, undergoing a medical and if or if that goes well uh, he should be a chelsea player so that is uh, he lampard says that's competition for uh, kepa but uh, what do you think chirag on that i think it means that kepa's got his marching orders he might as well just pack his bags right now and about time to so yeah uh in in other news i think still united well of uh, basically the united camp really they either take their checkbook out of their pocket or they go home because right now they need maybe not one maybe two center halves because i think uh, uh lindelof's not looking great and quite frankly uh maguire's not looking great either he doesn't seem to know what he's doing himself so instead of worrying about sancho which i think is just the saga's gone on and on they haven't got anyone at at, at the Uh, front half of the pitch, uh, and 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 neither have they got anyone to address their situations in defence. So it's not looking good for United. There's nothing from a transfer talk perspective to report. But I think the big news is the fact that they've done nothing about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we spoke last week also, and I said that they'll be under pressure if they don't really put in a performance, and they haven't. So there is, a, I mean, there is a lot of pressure on the board and Ed Woodward. to you know get at least a few names in to solidify the team uh, let's move on to other confirmed news i think one small talking point uh, not one small mention is for arsenal's uh, backup goalkeeper alex ranason from iceland he comes in leicester have uh, a defender coming in chengiz under he comes in on loan That's you want to add to that he's going to Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting because he's going to, uh, uh, you know, partner. Uh, he's going to form a centre-half partnership with Sriyanku. Uh, both, uh, I believe, from Turkish descent, so they both know each other because I, I think they played with the with each other before. Uh, maybe for the for the national side, if I'm not mistaken. But it's going to be easier 
for them to form a partnership and understanding whether they played before or not. And uh, Leicester seem to be forming these groups because they've actually got a very strong Belgian contingent as well. And what, what happens when you do end up having these kind of players is it, it just helps them settle in faster and it helps the understanding of the team. So I think it's a good... Uh, it's a, it's a good signing and it'll be interesting to see how he gets on with Soyonku, who's uh, done very, very well for them last season. Um, moving on, I, I think the only other talking point we have is that we have Joda, who's come to Liverpool. So, I am excited about that. He, I think, can provide good support to our front three and it's looking good because I'm pretty happy to have both Minamino and Joda as backups, so to speak, for the front three. And it's really not the worst thing that can happen to Liverpool. So, from, from my point of view, uh, forwards now looking pretty reasonably strong. Middle of the park, we have a lot of competition. And uh, we have someone to back up Robertson. We have a backup for uh, Alexander-Arnold as well. Uh, Van Dijk, yes, he's, he's the one uh, solid person in, at centre-half. We do have Gomez and Matip as well. We may be looking for another centre-half. Although, based on what I've seen last week, Fabinho fits the bill. So, I wouldn't really you know, bet against using Fabinho there either. So, I, I think it's looking good from, uh, from a Liverpool perspective. What do you think about City? Do you think they need to uh, you know, reinforce any, a, anything further? No, as, I mean, as we spoke earlier in the episode, I think uh, six or seven players are on the injury or the missing list for City. I don't think they really need someone. Yes, of course, a defender, uh, a good centre-half is still, I think, something on the wish list for maybe Pep Guardiola. But as he says, uh, if we don't have uh, a great defence, we'll just score more goals. So, yeah, that's probably uh, his way of looking at it. So, maybe we can't expect them to really, you know, uh, splurge on a defender like Kulabali or Upamecano or something, someone like that. So, maybe uh, I don't... Yeah, if someone has to come in, it'll probably, it'll probably be a defender. But I don't know if anything... We can expect anything from City. And I don't really see that much more transfer activity happening. Do you? Uh, not at all, actually. And I agree. The City side looks simply scary. So, I, I wouldn't bet against them winning the league this year. I think they've got more than enough uh, backup for each position. And uh, you can probably have a second-string City side that still can compete for the top four. So, uh, I, I really don't think that they need anyone. And from, uh, you know, looking across the board at all the teams in the Premiership, I don't see any big-name signings necessarily coming in any further because we, we are obviously closing in on the October 5th deadline. And uh, the only hope I would think is that United managed to, to sign a couple of more people. Uh, other than that, I don't see there being much more transfer activity across the across the Premier League. Yep, I think pretty much uh, agree with you on that. That that that's the end of the episode four of the Yellow Card Podcast, and uh, thank you all for listening. We'll see you same time next week. Here's everyone. See you on the other side. <laughs>